listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. We're in the book of James, and one of my... Uh, I would say bad habits. One of the things that I do as a bad habit is, is that I hate the thought of somebody coming in in the middle of a series and you not knowing what's going on. And so I put myself a lot of times in a corner going back and reviewing too far and too much to try to get you caught up. And then I end up running myself out of time for today's content. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go against my normal tendencies. And I'm going to say, if you've missed any of our study of the book of James, please go back and listen online. It's on our website, uh, oasischurchwh.org. You can find it under the podcast. There's several ways that you can catch up and listen uh, from the website, from iTunes, from Google Play. All of those opportunities are available to you. You're going to want to do that because especially James has a tendency to really build on top of the content that just that we've just covered. And, and not only that, James tends to circle back around the bush several times where all of a sudden we're talking about something that was back a chapter ago. And so you want to stay caught up because the book of James is just, it's so interwoven and it's all so very helpful and practical to us that I don't want you to miss out on any of it. So it's available to you. Go back, listen, get caught up. Today we're going to be in James chapter number four. So if you've got your Bible, you've got your smartphone, your tablet, all those things that you're following along with, I would encourage you each week, do your best to bring something that you can hold in your hand to follow along with. We put the verses up on the screens and that's mainly for people who come in and have never experienced church before, don't have any idea what they're to bring or how they're supposed to use it. And so that's what we're thinking about when we put the verses on the screen. But I would love for us to be able to come in with whatever thing we use. If you use your phone, tablet, that's fine. Then I would just encourage us all to have something that we can and, and we can follow along just to make sure that I'm not putting something on the screen that's not on your Bible. We want you to double check me. Today we're going to be talking about conflicts. James is going to take a, he's going to take a turn from what we discussed last week in the ending of chapter number three which is the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom and how you know you're pursuing one or the other. And today, James is going to kind of apply what we learned last week about pursuing godly wisdom. You remember when we got to the end of the, uh, of the sermon, we said, look, basically we recognize that we have a tendency to follow worldly, earthly wisdom because we're just so ingrained in what we want when we want it, how we want it. And we said basically to apply that text was like trying to sit down and eat barbecued elephant. How do we do that? Just one faithful bite at a time. So hopefully you've been chewing on your bite of elephant from last week and now all James is going to do is serve some leftovers with a few side items on the side to help us get this elephant eaten. Conflict is the way he's going to apply these next few verses in chapter number four. And I was thinking about conflicts in history, those feuds that we see happening and playing out in society. And I just, I wrote down, there's so many. I looked up, I Googled top 10 feuds in, in historical time. What, what are the top 10? Some of them I didn't even know, but I'm sure they were, they were legitimate, but uh, I didn't recognize them. So I just wrote down some of the ones that come to my memory. When I think about just this ongoing conflict or at least a conflict that was going on at that time, and I wrote a few of these down. One I wrote down was, Alexander Hamilton's conflict with Aaron Burr. Y'all remember, if you paid attention at all in history class, that was uh, something that turned out and not so much good for uh, for Mr. Hamilton because they went out and they fought with duels and pistols and all that. So that was a pretty famous conflict. What about Queen Elizabeth I and her conflict with her half-sister, Mary, Queen of Scots. There were a lot, a lot of conflict going on over the, the throne there of the United Kingdom. There's a lot of conflict. Uh, what about, uh, more recently, Taylor Swift, Kanye West? Y'all remember, they went after one another. See, y'all, y'all know more about those. They went after one another in the Twitter wars, right? And they had that conflict going on. Uh, if you had, if you grew up in the 80s or if you had children that grew up in the 80s, you know about that 
celestial conflict between the super friends and the Legion of Doom. I mean, that was definitely one that I paid a lot of attention to. The Yankees and the Red Sox, it's always at one another. But the one that's the most famous feud of all times, you tell me what you think it is. It's between the... Exactly, that's what I was thinking. The Hatfields and the McCoys. The Hatfields and McCoys, we talk about, you know, we're going at one another on families. Now, this was back in the Civil War times. To the best of my remembrance, and we've got some West Virginia natives, and we've got some Kentucky natives that are part of our body, and so we just want to make sure we don't bring that over into the church. But to, to the best of my understanding, this feud between these families, the Hatfields and the McCoys, was over ownership of a pig over ownership of a pig that ended up in several bloody death-producing encounters. The Hatfields, they were uh, from West Virginia, and they were from the Confederate way of thinking, and the McCoys were from Kentucky, and they were from more of a union persuasion. So they already had this feud going politically with one another, and then you bring, you know, you bring a pig into it, and things are going to break out, right? Uh, so they fought, and then I think ultimately one of the one of the Hatfield girls fell in love with one of the McCoy boys. I mean, ain't that how it works, you know? And they probably snuck out, and it would make for a great, I'm sure. There's a great movie about it that's very, not very historically uh, accurate. But at any rate, from what I read, the, the extended families are now having joined like family reunions. They're getting together and they're hanging out. So let's give the hat feel. Okay, anyway, we'll go. <laughs> Feuds, we get it. We understand conflict because we walk in the arena of conflict every day. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand unless you really are in a repentant feeling mode right now. Some of you engaged in conflict on the way to church this morning. And maybe it started over a missing shoe. Probably something as silly as a pig. But we get into conflict and we fuss and we fight. And James says in chapter number four, verse number one, what causes, then what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? If you think back to the conflict that you had on the way to church, some of you may have said, if my wife would just have, fill in the blank, or if my husband would have just, or if my kids, for crying out loud, if they could have just, you say, what causes fights? Well, they caused the fight. Well, I didn't cause it. I just got drawn into it. We get it. Conflict. Some of us are in conflict right now uh, beyond the silliness of just what the everyday thing is. If I were to ask you right now, who are you feuding with? Many of you could bring a, like immediately the face comes to mind. Who are you in consistent ongoing conflict with? Now, here's the danger. Some of us may go, oh, you know what? I'm not in conflict with anybody. And it's only because they don't know that they're in conflict with you. But there's the feelings that's in you. They just don't know what. So where's the conflict? Where is the feud? Where are two worlds colliding? And James goes, let's talk about it followers of Jesus, what causes the conflicts and quarrels, the fights among you? He's going to break it down. He's going to show us the cause and he's going to make it real easy for us. He's going to roll into a response that's just going to play out perfectly. Now, before you get uh, wondering why I'm going to skip over verses, I'll go ahead and tell you. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, breaks off into four movements. The first is in verses 1 through 3. It's the first issue that James wants to bring up. And then in verses 4 and 5, he brings up a deeper issue. And then in verses 6 through 10, he talks about the response to 
every issue. And then verses 11 and 12, he's going to have like a very helpful little reminder for us at all times. And so what I thought we would do is we just deal this week with the first issue and the response. And then next week, we'll deal with the second issue and the same response. So I can already tell you, if you're here today, you're going to know what the response is for us next week. We're going to do that next week. And then we're going to add the little helpful reminder for us at all times. As we think about conflict in our life with one another, specifically verses one through three. Let's read them. Verse one through three. What causes quarrels and fights and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to sit under the, uh, the inspiration of your word and the, uh, the power and the instruction of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would open our hearts so that we might see exactly what you see. We ask that you will give us the courage to respond exactly how you lead us to. First in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... The conflicts, the quarrels, these are words that talk about, uh, they're actually more in line with the kind of battle language. He's not talking about just hurt feelings and frustrated, aggravated, just a little banter back and forth. When he uses this words quarreling and fighting, this actually has a more heated idea to it. The first one, the quarrels, has to do maybe with, with more than one person. So it's a, it's a skirmish, if you will. And, and the fights, it's, it may be one-on-one, more one-on-one, but it still is a very intense form of conflict. And James is saying, why do we have these in the body? You remember, James is talking to believers. He's talking to followers of Jesus. So he's asking you and me, if you know Jesus as your Savior, having believed in his death and resurrection, as the only payment for your sin, if you have trusted him by faith, then as a follower of Jesus, why are we feuding with one another? Why is it that the church is as full of conflict interpersonally as the world is, and some may argue even more? He says, is it not the passions that are at war with you or war within you. This word passions, it literally means pleasures. It means the, the drives that we have to, to feel the pleasure, the satisfaction of those drives that are resident within us. Now, it is uh, this idea of my own way. It has the idea that I need to be right It has the idea of, I want more power. It involves, I need more possessions. I don't want to have to suffer. So it's these passions that we have within us that drive us to seek the satisfaction of those passions, which will play out in our pleasure. He says, that's the root of the conflict that you have. It's rooted in what's inside of you. Now, let's just go back just last week and let's talk about the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. What did he say about worldly wisdom? He said, where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there's disorder and every vile practice. Remember, he says, when we're following the way of our own bitter, stinky jealousy, when we're wanting what we want, how we want it, when we want it, then we will rationalize the best way to achieve that. Even with God in our backpack, we will be following worldly wisdom, which James says, in fact, guys, you need to recognize is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Why? Because it's all about you. It's all about me. So why do we fight? It doesn't matter if it's in the preschool or if it's in the elder home. We fight because we want what we want and we'll do anything it takes to get it. You watch your kids do what? They fight over 
whatever the other one has. And I want it. And what will they do? They'll push them down. They'll hold their hand over their mouth and their nose until they have to let go. You know, I had a friend that one time had a, had a younger brother and he just kept getting in the way. And, and they actually took him while his mother was gone. And they took their little brother and they rolled him up in a carpet with only his, his head showing like a little brother burrito. And they put him over in the closet. Why? Because they wanted the pleasure of not having to be bothered by their little brother. And they did whatever it took. I think they put him in the dryer one time too. That's pretty funny. The passions that are in us, if they don't come in check, they will rule us. And their ruling of us will come out in, I have a way I want to go. And I'm going to go that way. And if you get in my way, we're going to have what? Conflict. He said, what's causing it in the church? I'll tell you what's causing it. The desires that you have that you're doing whatever it takes to satisfy these passions, these pleasures are at war within you. Here, I've got some incredibly discouraging news for you, okay? And this is incredibly discouraging, but there's hope at the end of it. The incredibly discouraging news is that while we wait on Jesus to return, we're going to have warring passions within us. That's just the reality of us still being in a sinful world. And you're like, well, okay, I guess we're, I guess we're confined to fighting that. Oh, no, 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 no. The hope tacked on the end of that is God's given us a new nature. God has released us from the bondage of sin, and he's given us the person of the Holy Spirit who, if we will simply tune into him, will lead us outside of the realm of conflict. I'll refer you back to last week and godly wisdom so these desires in us causing i want what i want and so therefore i'm at conflict i'm in rivalry with you verse number two he says you desire and do not have so you murder well don't it seem like he's going like from like from common knowledge all the way down further down the road than any of us have been i mean that's probably not what most of us have on our record is murder and we go wow why did you go so far here's what he's doing he's showing us that the end of our conflict if we continue to press it will lead us down a road toward murder I mean, that's the ultimate end of if you won't get out of my way, I'll get you out of my way. And you say, well, that could never be. Ah, let's go back to the first few chapters of the scripture. And what do we find in Genesis chapter number four? But a mad brother mad at God because God accepted his brother's sacrifice and didn't accept him. And so what did Cain do? Cain didn't go to God and and ask him what he needed to do. Cain didn't go to his brother and say, hey, can we talk about what's different between your sacrifice and mine? Why is it that God didn't receive? No, Cain got mad. Cain didn't want his brother to receive favor from God that he wasn't receiving. So what did he do? He didn't adjust himself. He got rid of Abel. And we see that right off the bat. When we don't get our way, it stirs up in us a path that leads to eliminating those that stand in our way. We see it again in 2 Samuel chapter number 11. When the man after God's own heart, that sounds like a pretty, you know, a guy who's walking with God. God says he's after my very own heart. In fact, he was the youngest of the, of the house of Jesse and I picked him to be king and I was going to lead him and I did. I made him a, a victorious king king I made him a beloved king and when David was in the wrong place at the wrong time the passions in his heart wanting what he wanted on his terms the way he wanted it led him down a path of conflict didn't start out conflict it started out as a sordid torrid affair it started out as a as a midnight rendezvous of such. But when that ball got to rolling and the snowball got bigger and it picked up pace, what did David end up having to do in order to keep that thing covered up? He had to kill his, his uh, mistress's husband. 
You go, James, why did you jump to murder? Because the path that we're on in conflict is the path to murder. Husbands, think about that the next time you're in conflict with your wife. Not think about murder. (laughs) I won't clarify that. Y'all started snickering and I thought, whoa, I might have baited you in the wrong direction. No, no. Think about the path you're on. Guys, when you get her all twisted up and torn up, think about the path you've set her on, right? That's the path to murder. We see it again in uh, 1 Kings 21, Ahab, wicked king of, uh, of Israel, or yeah, Israel, king of Israel. He wanted a vineyard that was next to the palace, and it wasn't his, and he wanted it so bad. And he asked this fellow by the name of Naboth, can I buy your vineyard? Naboth knows you can't buy my vineyard because my vineyard's been in my family for so long and it's a, a part of our inheritance. And, and no, I can't sell this because it's, it's God's gift to our family and it's got to be passed on. Oh, King Ahab went home and, and, and Jezebel, you remember his wife, she saw him and he was all pouty and moping around and she's like, honey, what's wrong with you? And he goes, well, I wanted Naboth's vineyard and he won't sell it to me and I'm just sad about that. And she goes, boy, ain't you the king? I mean, really, why are you sad? Won't you just take that thing? And what did Ahab do? He organized a little thing that made it look like that Naboth was on the wrong side of God and he had him executed. And well, since he's not around anymore, I'll just go ahead and take that vineyard. It leads us. These passions, these wants will lead us into disorder and every vile practice. The inevitable result of rivalry is conflict and strife and can absolutely lead to murder. But let's think about what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 21 and 22, Jesus said, you've heard it said, you've heard that it was said to, the, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. And everybody would have said, yep, that's what we've heard. Ten commandments, cannot murder, we get it. Jesus said, but I say to you, Jesus is about to reveal the intent of that uh, prohibition against murder. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What was Jesus saying is you're not a murderer by conviction of action if you hate your brother in your heart, you're already a murderer. Now that, that brings it down to the level of not what have we not done, but what does God call our hatred and those passions in our heart that lead to conflict. First John chapter three, verse 15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a what? Murderer. He's a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. How much infighting is going on in God's people? I mean, think about it. Some of you are here today because of conflict in the church. Something happened, somebody said something, somebody did something, and you're here. As a result, look, some of our folks are somewhere else today. Why? Because of conflict. And I think back to, to when Chad was preaching on the tongue and he says, you know, out of, the, out of the mouth comes both blessing and cursing with the same tongue. We bless one another and turn around and curse somebody else. And, and his response, James's response to that was, brothers, that ought not be so. Well, I think we could say the same thing here. The conflict that exists in the body Well, that ought not be so. Well, why is it so? It's because these passions that are at war within us are being fueled by earthly, worldly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, and it's resulting in rivalries and conflicts. And that ought not be so. These conflicts and strife that lead to hatred, what the Scripture is called, murder i think about in this 
in this context of the, of the church. I wonder how many power plays are happening just this very week, not just amongst church members, but in the board meetings where these pastors with passion to have their way, how they want, are manipulating. And think about just names. I'll name them because I, I think they've uh, fell victim just as easily as I could fall victim. But what ends up happening is we get a little bit of, a little bit of traction of success under our belts and, and we start believing that we really are something special. And all of a sudden, we start thinking that our way needs to be the way, and we don't leave room for the Holy Spirit to lead us. And, and that can happen with pastors and board members and folks that are called to lead. And then we end up being in conflict. Why? Because ultimately, we want what we want. He goes on to say, You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, verse number two, because you do not ask. What, what is James saying? He's saying the, the desire in you, well, that's creating a passion. And now you're trying to fulfill that passion and you don't have it satisfied because in your attempt to satisfy it, it's creating rivalries and competition and conflict that is the path to murder. And some of us can be living right now in the realm of murder in our heart just simply because of our passions running amok, wanting what we want, how we want it, what we think is best. He says your desires aren't satisfied because you don't ask i heard many preachers say i wonder how many resources and opportunities are available to christians that are reserved in god's storehouse and are just sitting there because we've not asked for them but i don't necessarily think that that's what james is talking about i don't think he's talking about things we could have that we won't because he's going to address that. I mean, I think he's talking about you don't have the satisfaction of what you want because you're not asking God for the right kind of satisfaction. You're not asking God to meet this void, this desire that you have. You're not setting yourself up for God to do what only God can do. Our desires are not satisfied because we don't ask God to satisfy them according to his will. Think back several weeks to James chapter 1 verse 17. What did we learn? We learned that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's already said God gives us the good and perfect gifts. If it is to, to be truly satisfying, God has it to give us and he wants to give it to us. And we don't have them because we don't ask for them. Now, I don't know what those things are that we don't have because we don't ask specifically. I'm not God. But I do know we leave a lot of cards on the table because we haven't asked God to take our cards and play out our life however he wants to. I'll refer you back to last week, godly wisdom, which is first and foremost pure, meaning my total attention is on him. He says you don't have because you don't ask. Verse number three, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly. Why? To spend it on your passions when we find ourselves in a bind let's just let's real talk all right we find ourselves in a financial bind okay when we lose something and we're not making enough to pay for all it's like god you're really going to have to come through father you we don't have enough to pay the house payment and the the entertainment thing, number one, entertainment thing, because if I say a boat, some of y'all get mad at me. If I say sports car and the rest of you get mad at me. So I'm not going to say. I'm just going to say uh, house and unnecessary trinket, number one, and unnecessary thing, number two, and two-year contract thing, number three, whatever it is. 
God, we're just really not making. So what I need for you to do is to bring it in, Lord, so that we can meet our bills, so we can make ends meet. And, and I think, it, don't, don't, don't you in the back of your mind imagine God going, so you want me to fund the stuff that you didn't ask me whether or not you need it or not. And we're like, yes, sir. Isn't that what kids do? You know, kids get out there and they get over their head and they're like, mom, dad, you got to send money. And they're like, really? I, I didn't sign my name to that. I didn't put myself on it. But what end up, what, what do they end up doing so many times? They shell it out. If, if we're going to be honest, how many times does God shell it out? Why does he do that? Because he's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. He did. But he's saying you ask wrongly. You, you, you don't have because you don't ask. And then you don't receive when you do ask because you're asking me to do what you want. And it just reminds me of that Middle Eastern gentleman who had the shiny little lamp that rubbed the lamp and out came who? Robin Williams. No, out came <laughs> Will Smith apparently. And then out came the genie. And the genie goes, what can I do for you? You say, well, I won't. And God's like, I'm not no genie. That's not how I operate. I'll be sovereign. That's what I'll, I'll be God. You don't have because you don't ask. You don't, you ask and don't have because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. One fellow wrote, and I don't even know who it was, so I can't even really quote him because it was, uh, I couldn't find who the person was in, in one of the commentaries. It says, is it not true that one of the greatest problems with our prayer life is simply the fact that we do not pray? I'm going to read that again. Is it not true that one of the greatest problems with our prayer life is simply the fact that we do not pray? Or we're asking God to do for us what we want rather than for what he wants for us. I'll refer you back to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, which is fueling these passions in our heart that lead us down a road of disorder and every vile practice, which can ultimately even end up in murder. Quarrels and fights and rivalries. Brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. We should be, we should be engaging in godly wisdom that leads to peace and gentleness. It leads to approachability. It's full of mercy. It's full of good fruits. It's authentic. But that's only when we put all of our eggs, all of our cards, everything we've got in God's hands. It's when we come to him and want what he wants more than what we want. Now, hopefully God has identified that area in your life. I, I can't, all I can do is give illustrations and examples. Hopefully he's, he's shown you where that exists in your life. As a church, we recognize that that's possible for us as well to want what we want, how we want it. So what we're going to do as a way of combating that is every fifth Sunday, every month that has five Sundays, we're going to begin or we're going to restart. We've done this before. We're going to restart having fifth Sunday worship and prayer. Here's what that's going to look like. On the fifth Sunday of every month that has five Sundays, we're going to meet back together at 6 o'clock we're going to have some very simple worship just to kind of bring us together and unite our hearts together around a rallying point. And then we're going to spend time just praying. What are we going to pray about, you might ask? We're going to pray for the lost of this community. We're going to pray for our interaction with the lost of this community. We're going to pray about um, our future location. 
We're going to pray about the stewardship of the resources we have. We're going to pray about the uh, engagement of those that, that maybe haven't plugged in quite yet. We want to find a place to plug them in. We're just going to be asking God to do with us whatever he wants. And we hope that you'll want to be a part of that. Because that's us saying, God, whatever you want, that's what we want. We don't want what we want. We want what you want for us. But here's what he says in verse number six that talks about how we can apply this personally. I just want to kind of bring these up. In fact, he outlines this response for us. And really, this could be the response that we have every Sunday. In fact, this might become our response for every Sunday because he's basically leading us down the road of what do we do when we recognize, okay, Lord, the conflict in my life, the, the, the passions in my heart. I know that I'm, I know I, I, I got to do business with you. And he says, here's what you do. And I love what verse number six says. When you find yourself on the wrong side of godly wisdom, having followed your own jealousy and selfish ambition, you're wanting your way, you're wanting it played out your, and you're doing whatever it takes to have what you want. God says, good, if I got you there, now I want to tell you some really good news. James 4, verse, verse number 6 says, but he gives more grace. If you find yourself at odds with what God wants for you, which if you're paying attention, you find yourself there, then you can discover in this verse right here that God's got more grace for you. See, we, we think that what we want God to say is, it's all right, man. We'd, look, we're, it's all good. We, we, we think that's what we want because that's what we do. We get hurt and we don't want to resolve it and we go, you know what, it's all good, but we know deep down it's not all good. So this is what's good here is that God goes, no, it's not all good, but i tell you what's good. I got more grace for you. How did you come into relationship with a holy God in your sin? God, by God's grace. By God's grace, he gave his son to die in your place for your sin. He raised him from the dead. He's provided a means of salvation for you. He's provided an opportunity for you to be a part of the family only by his grace. And God says, and guess what? I got more grace when you need it. Let's think about these verses that tells us about his grace. John chapter number one, verse number 14 says, the word talking about Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten son from the father, full of what? Grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace to meet you right here today at odds with what God wants for you. Jesus is full of grace. We see in John, that same chapter, two verses down, from all his fullness, verse number 16 of John 1, from, uh, for from his fullness we have all received what? grace upon grace and if we just kind of carry that out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace what do we find when we approach God on his terms we find grace on top of grace and so unfortunate that the world understands our God as this cosmic bad guy who thrives on just beating down his people because they're not as holy as he is. And he's consistently mad with them because of how they act. And that's not the God we have. We don't have a God who turns his eye to our sin. Don't think we've got a God that we can just pull the wool over his eyes. But we do have a God that meets us with grace on grace on grace on grace on grace. When we approach him on his terms. We see in Romans chapter number five, verse number 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It's if you're sitting here right today and you're going, man, there's so much going on in my life. It may be active conflict, but it's certainly I'm following my own way. And Katie, bar the door on anybody trying to get in my way of what I want. I'm so deep in myself. There's probably not enough grace for God to pull me out. And God says, look, you stack sin as high as you can stack it. 
I got a bigger stack of grace. Where sin abounds, grace so much more abounds. If you follow along in Romans, uh, Paul says that there were some over that goes, huh, well, in that case, let's sin some more so that more grace will come along. And Paul says, God forbid that we ever think about it that way. But when you find yourself under a mountain of sin, God says, I got enough grace for that. He says in Titus chapter 2, verse number 11 and 12, Paul does. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What is it doing? It's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then Hebrews 4, 16 is my favorite one about grace where it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. When you think about the, the, the judge sitting up on that platform and the black robe and the gavel, and you're thinking, well, when he wraps that thing down, he's going to tell me what my sentence is, and I sure don't want to hear it, but whatever he says goes. Look, when you think about God, don't think about him if you're his child as this cosmic judge just wanting to sentence you to some kind of, uh, of time for, for your sin. No, what you find is a sovereign, ruler sitting on a throne of grace because that's his desire for me and for you for us to approach him in all of our baggage with all of our junk with all of the things that we bring to it he wants to meet us time and time and time again with grace but it's always on his terms and that's where we get into this response where he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What's the first step in approaching God with the mess that we find ourselves in today following our own passions? Humility. You ever heard the term hat in hand? I got to explain this to a, uh, one of the high schoolers uh, the other day. We were sitting, they were, they were actually talking about a conflict they were having with someone and, and they wanted me to tell them how to, how to approach that. And I said, well, you might, you might need to confront that person. And they said, well, how do I do that? So you ever heard the term hat in hand? They're like, no. And I went, well, way back when, when you used to have to go to the bank and you might not have exactly what you thought and the banker had all the money and you didn't have any, but you just wanted to come in and go, I know I don't have anything, but I just want to, I just want to come and, and just throw myself on mercy. I said, those fellas wore, uh, fedoras and other kind of hats just all the time. And you'd walk in the bank and you would take your hat off and you would come to the banker with your hat in your hand in a position of humility. God gives grace to those who come and you go, man, I sure got a lot of conflict. I sure got a lot of personal passions getting fleshed out. I sure got a lot of problems going on because of what I want more than what God wants. And you know what he says? God gives grace to those who come hat in hand. Father, <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of stuff. And he says, get in here. I got more grace than you got stuff. The first part of that verse said, God opposes the proud. When we just want to keep doing our own thing, God stands in our way. He, he, like, like he comes and gets in our path. He goes like this. And we're trying to get satisfaction in our life the way we think, and, and we try to side skirt God, and God just kind of moves over. You know, kind of like what daddies do when your kids are crawling. You know, kids are crawling, they're trying to go from point A to B, and we're just evil fathers, and we just stand in front of the kids, and, you know, they try to get around, and they get frustrated because they can't get around us. Well, God's not evil, but he'll get in your way. He'll frustrate you. You're pouring everything you got into what you want, how you want it, and God goes, look, you can just keep trying, and you can probably think that you're satisfied, but you know deep down it's not being satisfied because I'm standing in your way. And as soon as you'll admit it, I'll have grace for you and I'll fulfill that desire in a way that only I can. So what's the first step? We gotta come humbly. Just admitting it. And then he gives us some imperatives. These are what to do. There we go. He says, verse seven, submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. Yield to his authority. Confess 
where your desires have led into the conflicts. Whether it's known or not known, it's conflict within you. It's driving you. You know that it's leading you. You confess by submitting. God, I know that what you say is true and what I think is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. I'm submitting to your authority. He moves on. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Second imperative, resist the devil. Who wants to fuel your actions in your own way, in the way you want, in the time you want it? Who wants to do that? The enemy wants to. And so he will fuel that. He will, he will press on that to try to drive you into more and more self-sufficiency. He says, first thing you got to do is submit to God, yield to his authority, and then resist the devil. It's like Fellas, you'll get this from one perspective, and ladies, you'll get it from another. There's the difference between playing hard to get. That's like, I'm telling you no, but the window's open, you know, maybe. Sometimes that's kind of how we deal with the devil. Devil, I'm telling you no, but later on in the week, maybe I'll feel differently. There's a difference between that and then you writing the note that says, will you be my girlfriend? Check yes, no, maybe. And then you find that thing wadded up in the floor by your locker. You're like, hmm, yeah. I'm gonna open it anyway, just to see. (laughs) That's saying, uh, not interested, sir. No, thank you. There's, there's, There's hiding from, you know, I'm just gonna hide from you. Or there's, no. No. I mean, how many times I got to tell you no? There's resisting that has to happen. Recognizing that you're not for me and you're playing into the things that I want that I know bring no satisfaction and only brings conflict. No. Get away from me. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And guess what? When we do that, he'll flee from you. Again, I'll refer you back to the middle school hallway. What happens? You find it wadded up in the floor. You guys probably go, okay, I'm going to get away from there. So he'll flee from you. Resist him. Verse number eight, number three imperative. He says, draw near to God. Draw near to him. In, in, In Luke chapter number 15, there's a beautiful story about a young man who thought he knew what was best for him. And he went to his father and he said, Dad, I know better what's, what's best for me than you do, so here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like to pretend like you're dead and you just go ahead and give me all, of your, all the inheritance that I'm eventually going to get when you're gone. I'm just going to get it now while I'm young and I can enjoy it and just really you know, make a go of it because I know what's best, better for me. Father said, okay, got his stuff together, gave it to him. The boy went off and what did he do? Wasted it. He wasted it, found himself in the pig pen until he came to the point where he says, you know what? I just need to go home. He submitted to God. He says, I just need to go home and I, need to, I just need to submit myself to him and just be his hired hand. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 15, verse 20, and he, talking about the son, and he arose and came to his father. But listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, he, uh, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Listen, it's this idea. It's this idea of we wander away and God's just waiting on us. He's looking. He sees us. He knows that's not satisfying us. Sometimes he's having to oppose us because of our pride. But when we turn around and submit to him and and, and we turn around, we're expecting to go... Dad, I'm just so sorry about it. And I, when we're expecting to go through this whole thing, we turn around to discover that we're turning into his embrace. Dad, I'm so, ooh, and there I am, boom. This one who gives grace upon grace upon grace, when we had in hand, no, I'm not following that way. I'm going to turn to, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves drawing near into his waiting embrace. It doesn't matter what your sin is or how high it's stacked. When you draw near to God, you will find him waiting. That's true for you, Christian. 
And that's doubly true for you who've never trusted Jesus as you say, so I would, I would love to be a Christian, but God would never save me. Listen, the death of Jesus was sufficient for all sin, for all time, ever past, present, and future. And as soon as we are willing to accept him and turn to him, then we walk into his embrace. And then that's true for his children for the remainder of their life. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Number four imperative. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Number five, purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's verse number eight. Be wretched, that's number six. And mourn, that's number seven. And weep, that's number eight. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's he talking about? Repentance. Repentance. You turn into the embrace of the Father. He draws near to you. And then what do we do? We cleanse our hands. We, we address what was wrong. If there, is, if there is issues between you and me, and I get it dressed. I cleanse my hands. I purify my heart from a double-minded. I get God out of my backpack. I get him in front of me, and I start following him where he leads me. I'm wretched. Look at Psalm 51 when you get home today. That's what being wretched looks like when David realized his sin and realized what it was as an offense to God, and David just drops down and in a beautiful Psalm 51 just basically says, God, I am so, so sorry. Weep, mourn, because you recognize not, yeah, I've made a few mistakes, Lord. You know, I I probably took a wrong turn somewhere, but I want to, no, it's recognizing and repenting and saying, God, I've been following my wants. I've been following my ways and I got all kinds of broken situations behind me for me doing what I wanted. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, be wretched, mourn, weep. Trade the laughter and the joy of trying to find satisfaction on your own. Trade that for mourning and gloom over your sin. Repentance, just being honest. God, here's where it is. And then the last one, number 10. We find it in verse number 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and guess what? And he will exalt you. Uh, Let's go back to the prodigal son. All right, so prodigal son comes home. Father sees him a long way off. He tries to save. Father brings him in. He makes this right. And then what does father do? Father says, you're going to have to sit on the bench for the next six months. Just make sure that I know you. No. Father goes, go get a ring. Go get a robe. Send out some invitations. Go get the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. And we find celebration. Now, What sounds better, you and me trying to pursue our own satisfaction, following the path that leads ultimately toward murder or finding true satisfaction in him and God exalting us in a way we could never exalt ourselves. But it comes with a humble response, admitting where you're at, dealing with what needs to be done, and then walking in humble submission with him so that he might elevate us in the way he desires to elevate us. Make sense? See, that could be the response to every, every look into the Scripture. It could be what we do every time we come to the Scripture. Admit where we are, turn ourselves to him, deal with what needs to be dealt with, and then walk humbly behind him, knowing that ultimately he'll exalt us in his way, in his time. It's almost by our heads. Close our eyes. Just right there in the quiet of where you are. What has God revealed to you? Where have your desires that have been fueled by jealousy and envy and and selfish ambition? I want my way. I want to go what I'm doing. My time. Where has that 
Where is that in your life that needs to be dealt with? Let God show it to you. Maybe it's a conflict you got going on with somebody right now. Maybe they don't even know it's a conflict. Maybe it's something from way back when. God's pressing on that right now. Let me invite you to just please respond to him in humble submission and just take a step this morning saying, God, I want to submit myself to you. I want to confess this sin. I know it was sin. And I just want you to address this in my life. I I want to go the way you want to go. I I want to be who you want. I want to be where you want me to be. I want what you want more than what I want. There's enough grace to meet us all where we are. stand together Father I just want to confess on behalf of all of us we, we know where our guilt is we know exactly you've shown us it's clear as a bell Father I pray that you will help us today to want what you want To not be divided in that so that our desire for you is pure. Father, I pray that as we want what you want, you'll show us that you lead us in the way of peace. We won't be stepping into conflict. Oh, that doesn't mean conflict's not going to come to us. We're just not going to engage with it. We're going to be instruments of peace. Father, I pray that you will help us to see that if we humble ourselves with a focus on you that it will lead us into gentleness with others approachableness God that it will lead us into a willingness to engage for the purpose of building that one who may be mad but it will lead us to want to see them edified for your glory it will make us full of mercy full of good works Make us impartial. Keep us sincere. God, I pray that you'll show us the the situations that we need to go address now. Conflicts that we need to now go to with an apology. Show us those people that we need to go to and say, I'm sorry that I let my own personal feelings run into this conflict show us who we need to say we're sorry to God I pray that you will show us who it is we need to forgive those that we've been in opposition to that we simply need to say Father I'm handing you my hurt and I'm going to forgive them show us what that looks like Lord God, I pray that you'll help us to see those that we need to re-engage with after maybe a long time of distance. Father, I pray for Oasis Church. I pray that you will mark us as a people who truly want what you want. I know we're a church that's full of people that want what we want because I'm one of them. But I ask that you'll change our hearts that you'll draw us to yourself. You'll refocus our attention that you'll lead us in the way that we should go. Just in the way you're going. And when we do, we'll all be on the same path, wanting the same things. Father, I pray for the one that may be here that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, and I pray more than anything they'll recognize their sin, their need, that there are no other options, just faith in Christ, what he's already done. 
that you might bring them to a place that they want to trust Jesus as one and only Savior, forgiver of sins, a saver of souls. I just ask that if, uh, if there's someone here who needs that, that they'll receive him right now. And if they don't quite understand what that means, that we'll have an opportunity to share more about it with them. God, we thank you for our body. Thank you for everybody that you brought together, and we just pray that you will use us this week to be representatives of your son, a bright light pointing others to him. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. it.